Please note this podcast contains details surrounding a murder, which some people may find disturbing. Previously on The Storyteller, Murder Most Foul, a roller coaster of a court case leaves everyone wondering who and what the jury will believe after a shock new witness. Peter Cumming was saying that during the course of these conversations mid-trial, Chris Taylor had admitted to him that he had certainly been involved and that he had a knife. But the forensic evidence still points to Pamela Gurley. We can see from blood stains on it, like blood drips and blood spots, she's been there when blood is being actively shed and projected through the air. So she's there right when these events are occurring. I'm Isla Traquere, a storyteller. I was the young journalist who covered this murder, my first of many. And now I'm going to share with you this story, which is still as shocking today as the day it happened. I'm hunting down the people at the heart of this case, most importantly, the killer, to see if I can finally get some answers and discover the truth behind this murder most foul. This is The Storyteller, Murder Most Foul, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquere. The High Court in Aberdeen, March 8th, 2000. Five months since Melanie Sturton was brutally murdered with a boning knife. But who did the jury believe wielded it? 20-year-old chef Pamela Gurley or her boyfriend, Chris Taylor? After a nine-day trial, they retired to consider their verdict. The families of Melanie and Pamela, some witnesses, the press and legal teams anxiously awaited the bell to ring to signal a verdict was reached. Myself, fellow journalist Alison Shaw and solicitor Shane Campbell were there. It's a very fractious time when a jury goes out and you're waiting there is, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for a family because it's bad enough for us waiting on edge, wondering how long they were going to be, you know. Because we literally couldn't leave the building. No, no, because you needed to be there they could come back at any time, you know. There would be a bell that would be rung. You couldn't come to any conclusion because, as they say, there's now as queer as folk, you know. You've got absolutely no idea what they're thinking. Um, but they do say that if the jury comes back and they don't look at the accused, they've definitely found them guilty. Three hours and 40 minutes later, we are summoned to the court. So we get um, advised um, that... Uh, the jury have reached a verdict and uh, that's normally the clerk of court who uh, will come and uh, locate us. Uh, I think at that time we were probably sitting in the atrium at the sheriff's court. The table uh, along from the journalists. <laughs> we're, we're all having cups of tea. Having cups of coffee, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, nervously awaiting the call uh, and then the clerk of court will have come down and announced that uh, the jury reached a verdict. So at that point, uh, all of us, um, defence agents, um, advocate deputy, journalists, uh, then head back towards court six and we uh, resume our seats in the well of court. So there's always a flurry uh, of activity, you know. Um, 
and you're always on tenterhooks you're looking at the time and your deadline's coming up and you think well if I don't come back soon you know I'm not going to make it sort of thing it's that terrible time sort of waiting until the jury all files in all you know gets you know they're all, all seated and then everybody else that requires to be there is there and you're thinking oh hurry up hurry up you know and it's just you never if you've never experienced that, it's really, you're literally on the edge of your seat waiting for the verdict. The judge, Lord Marnock, is then brought on and the clerk of courts then asks the jury if they've reached a verdict, they confirm that they have, uh, they've elected a, a spokesperson. That person then stands and uh, he's then asked, uh, how do they find the accused, Pamela Gurley, in relation to the charge on the indictment of murder? And at that stage, he replies, guilty. And then when it was guilty, I remember there were some gasps from the um, public gallery and sort of, yes. Melanie's mother, Susan Patrick, and husband Paul were among those shouting yes after the guilty verdict. The DNA, it was all doing, the DNA guy was really, really, really important. And even though you know what you said to police and you heard it all, you're just never sure. And then when it came through as guilty, it was like everybody in the court went, yes, can like out loud and stood up. And it was, it was numb, kind of it was happy, but just numb. It was just, oh God, kind of relief, you know, just to think, yes, because you're never ever sure. You're watching a film and you get that pause. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it seemed to take forever. You know how you know? Can you that? And then she went guilty. And that was it. That's when we went, yes. There was no emotional outburst or anything like that. Um, there was no claim that. I'm innocent or I haven't done this or anything of that nature. I think she was still reasonably quiet but tearful at that point. Uh, and then obviously the judge went on to issue his sentence. With the verdict delivered, there was still the job of sentencing. Former journalist Alison Shaw and I looked over the transcript from Judge Lord Marnock. The judge did not hold back at all mm -hmm. in his... Um, when he was de delivering his sentence and describing you know, what an evil young woman she was. And that is really, I think, the only word that could describe it. it it's still incomprehensible why anyone would do that. It's the worst thought-out murder ever. Mm -hmm. I can't conceive what somebody has in them that makes them think mm -hmm. that it's going to be okay if they go downstairs with a big knife. I've actually got the transcript of when she was um, sentenced, but... No, right, have you? It's not a, a quick sort of yeah. determination. And, and at that stage, you've always got to decide, am I going to run out and report this verdict, or am I going to wait mm. and get the sentence? Because <laughs> then we get full two pages of Lord Mike. Do you want to read that out loud yeah, for me? Yes. This is the... Oh, yes, it's all... It's, it's all actually coming back to me right now because we were scribbling furiously because you're so de you're so desperate to get it all down and to get it all absolutely accurate. So Lord Marnock says, Pamela Gourley, to don rubber gloves 
arm yourself with a knife and then burst in on a neighbour and slit her throat in the course of a sustained attack, as it turned out, all for the sake of some 20 to 30 pounds and a miscellany, I can never say that word, miscellany of personal items and some gift vouchers is a crime of almost unimaginable depravity. That's, that's the key phrase that I remember. And your behaviour the following day in using the stolen cash line card to withdraw £10 and in cashing the gift vouchers showed, in my view, a deliberation which can, in the circumstances, only be described as entirely cold-blooded. I remember this so well. I can only conclude, Miss Gourley, that you are a very evil young woman indeed. And as far as I can see, you've not shown any genuine remorse. On the contrary, at the last moment, you've sought to place the blame, the blame for this murder on someone else who is entirely innocent. Yeah, then he goes on to say there's only one sentence I can impose in charge one, that's murder charge. And that was in detention in a young offender's institution because she was under 21 at that time um, for a life. But he says that he decided to mark the gravity of the offence and the degree of depravity involved and the lack of any genuine remorse and the sense of outrage which your crime engenders in any right-thinking person. He said it's appropriate that despite her youth, he recommended that she should serve a minimum of 14 years before being considered for possible release. So we got the guilty verdict, we did our stories and all this happened and not that long after we discover that it's not all over because she, she decides to appeal. Well, she decides to appeal, yeah. I mean, that's standard, I suppose, because that's something that we're always looking out for, yeah. I don't even think I got a day to be relieved about that before they came back and said, <laughs> settle me down and tell me that she would appeal it. The appeal was based around the amount of interruptions by Lord Marnock while Pamela Gurley was giving evidence, but it was rejected. She served only 14 years despite being convicted of dealing heroin in prison in 2002. Pamela was released on October 2013. It's understood a full-time job was waiting for her. In December 2018, she was photographed at a Christmas party in Stirling where she worked in a dry cleaners. She's wearing a penguin t-shirt and she's laughing. A caption read, Great wee day with a great bunch of ladies. To date, she has never apologised to Melanie's family or given any explanation. It's time for me to try and find her and see if I can finally get some answers. So I've just arrived in Stirling, a beautiful city in central Scotland, known as the Gateway to the Highlands, with a lot of history. Most people come here for tourism, but I'm here to try and find a killer. I'm making my way from the train station, pretty short walk to where she was last known to work. Um, I'm blending in quite well with the tourists. There's a lot of, uh, there's a big crowd of Americans just as I got off the train and me uh, yanking my suitcase uh, up the hill. I will admit I am nervous about this. Sometimes when I'm focused on the job, I'm just kind of doing it and uh, it's sometimes better I don't stop and think too much about it, but I've literally stood still so I can record this rather than pushing my case. And uh, I'm nervous. Um, this might be a wild goose chase and she might not be here um, or, or she may well be here and I'm about to come face to face with a killer. Funny, as I'm standing here, I'm just looking back down towards the 
station and there's a a woman with red hair red auburn hair shoulder length from a distance it could be her probably not but uh, yeah you never know could be walking past her any moment there. Sorry to bother you. I'm trying, I'm not sure if I'm in the right place. I'm trying to find someone who I think was an employee here. I've got to try and get a letter to them. So she does not work there. No one of that name. And this is a difficulty because it's possible she'll be using another name. So location number two, I'm trying, is right in the centre of the sort of pedestrianised area with the shops. And uh, you can possibly hear a busker singing Hallelujah. So we'll try this place. Hi, sorry to bother you. I'm not sure if I'm in the right place. I'm trying to find someone who I think maybe used to work here. I'm trying to pass on a letter actually to someone. I don't know if you would know Pamela. I passed on a letter to her colleague. She doesn't work at that location I went to, but she still works for the company. I then phoned Melanie's mum, Susan Patrick, to tell her I was a step closer. Annie's going to drop it off for me. So, yeah. So how how do you feel about that? She's gonna get she's okay. gonna get the letter. Okay, that's alright though. Yeah. Just to see, just to see what the reaction is. Do you, would you like to hear what I have a copy of the letter? Do you want to hear what I've written? Yeah, well, um, do I? No, no, you do. It's all right. It's actually, I think it's, I think it's pretty fair. It's not, uh-huh. it's not, it's not being horrible, but it's being fair. Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. here we go. So it says. Uh, da, 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 da. It's kind of weird writing this letter, you know, because I didn't even... What did you put dear? Do you know what I mean? Writing right. dear, but uh, anyway. The etiquette of letter writing to a murderer. Um, uh. do, dear Miss Gurley, I'm writing to inform you that a podcast and documentary are being made to mark the 20th anniversary of the death of Melanie Sturton. The purpose of doing this is to commemorate the memory of Melanie and learn more about her, as it felt as though she became lost in the narrative. The other main focus is to retell the sequence of events from October 1999, which has deeply affected those involved. I appreciate this is something you may not feel inclined to take part in, but it is my duty to give you the opportunity to have your say and tell your side of the story. My professional and personal plea to you is to take a moment to consider this, and in particular the fact that Melanie's family feel they have not had closure. As strange as this may sound, your participation may help them in some small way to gain an understanding of why they lost their daughter. I understand you have served your time under embarking upon a new life and I do not want to disrupt that, but I am sure you appreciate your past doesn't disappear and this story will crop up on more anniversaries. I'm not saying the interest in you will disappear, but if you decide to speak now, then it may help draw a line under things and certainly settle the family's unrest. I'd like you to know that there are participants who do speak of how kind and caring you are to them and what happened utterly shocked them. I will respect your decision either way. You're sincerely, Isla Traquare. And I've, uh, I've I've put my number. So do you think that's fair enough yeah, what I've written? that's all right. Okay. Yeah. So Pamela Gurley knows this podcast is being made. Every single person I've interviewed, including her defence team from the time, are hopeful she will talk to me and give Melanie's family some sense of closure. But in the meantime, the killer's former best friend, Claire Forbes, has agreed to meet with the victim's mother. Back where this began, with a cup of tea and cake, chatting to Melanie's mum. Claire was as interested about hearing about Melanie as Susan was learning about Pamela. 
I'm sure the Scots tongue has become more familiar to those listening to the series, but a reminder, ken means to know, K-N-O-W, fit means what, far means where, and Bobby means police officer. You're going to meet Susan for the first yes. time. How, how are you feeling about that? I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know why, but I'm looking forward to meeting her. Mm-hmm. And I do just, like, there's. I wish I could give her the answer she's looking for, but I can't, which is really unfortunate. But if speaking to me helps her in the slightest, then that's a positive. And I think it will, because I think she'll, she'll learn more mm-hmm. about her. And I know that sounds so strange. I but... know, but I think if that... Had somebody did that to my daughter, I would want to know everything about them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know that maybe seems like a bit of a morbid fascination, but you would want to know everything, I think. Everything. Hi, Susan, hello. this is Claire. Hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah. I'm very pleased to meet you. Not <laughs> 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 oh, the best circumstances, no, but... No, no. We'll try and remember Melanie and... Uh, Aye. Mm. Adeline. Just awful. Oh, I just... Yeah. Is, I can't imagine what your life's been like. Uh, shit. <laughs> I just, I can't, I mean, I've got a 20-year-old daughter now, and I uh, just, and I, I just saying to Isla, Ken, there's been times where I've, I have given Melanie a thought because uh, she's had so much teen, and you uh, have had so much teen uh, for years. I know, it's, it's just, just, um, um, just for any reason. I know, just well, this is the thing. Aye, no, no reason. I mean, that's what I was saying, Ken, I said, if, if she'd ever give one inkling of, being that Aye. I don't know if I'd have been friends with her she no. came across as being quite a kind hearted and it's all been for nothing I know I and know. now she gets to sit and pay a meal and yeah, I know I need to do nothing Aye. no no need no. ice <laughs> need ice no, so we go and have a do you fancy a cup of tea and a cake Aye. Okay. yeah she was funny she was a tomboy and it was just like a first time to go on, stay yeah. a different place, and and was liking it. She was, she was clever, but she wasn't a clever clever. She was struggling a bit with the exams, kind of like to be a nurse and that. But she was uh-huh. sticking in. Aye, but she, she was good at the practical Aye. side, but yeah. not so much yeah. the academic. Yeah. But she. Um, did she, was she uh, like? A, did she like animals? And... Aye, her dog, cat. We used to hear cat Ollie. Um, he was eighteen. An oddball. Oh, God. Holly, an oddball. <laughs> Tell her about when she started her job. I was blown away by this. She left the school when she was 16. She started in the April, the holidays in the April, and she was just 16, so she sat with... They were dying, she sat with them all the time. And she had shifts, but sat with them until she, she died. Very, very... That was the first week she was yeah. there. And I thought, oh, God, because I kind of know. She was no, into it takes that. a special aye, kind of person aye. to be that person. My mum was a, my mum was a, a proper nurse, mm-hmm. and Melanie took after her. Just, um, but she was little, but she was really funny. <laughs> she was only four foot eleven. Not that any of us are tall. Aye, aye. four foot eleven. <laughs> but when she, she used to trail does when he got bigger and she used to shout at the top stairs, get this child out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, but she loved him to bits, but he was but, just Yeah, like, you just, siblings, as they yeah. do, they drive your room aye. and twist, do they? And then, um, that's how it should be. I know, that's Aww. it. But, um, no, and then she went into Aberdeen and just, Unfortunately, hi. I, I know, that's a shame. She was kind of looking for another place, I know, but um, all that kicked yeah. off before. So. Okay, well, interestingly, Pamela had been 
looking for a new, what well, was going to move in to her spare room. Because mm. she, she, she owed rent. See, we knew none of that. She, she just, she, she made on like she didn't really like the house mm. and stuff like that. And that's what I was saying to Isla. There's a lot has came out that she was one way round about me and then she was a totally different person. Uh, like, mm. there was a lassie that lived next door to me. Now, I, my daughter was eight months old at the time, and Kerry, who lived, like, so it was like a... It, for Martin Road, you had the three blocks kind of oh, stuck aye, together. Aye. So I was the end block, and Kerry lived in the middle block. And so she would just come through, Ken. She would take her burn through, yeah. and, and they would, Ken, talk her a while, and we'd have a cup of tea yeah. and a chat and that. And then... She did stop coming round quite so often. It wasn't until Pam had been arrested and charged. She then came to me and said that she'd been taken... she threatened Kerry quite a few times that Kerry wasn't allowed to come to my house and she was my only friend and Ken, stuff like that. And then I was saying as well, like, there was a lot of times she used to say to me, I'd say, Laura, what did you do last night? Because, I mean, I was home every night. I had an eight-month-old baby. And she would say, oh, I just finished my work and I went to my home. But then I found out later on that she wasn't going home. She was going up with two, yeah. going out with different people. And yeah. Ken, do you know these, this, Ken, so she, she had two personalities, yeah. for sure. But, um, for me, she may be doing nothing she wasn't, like, normal now, but something deep, 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 deep. Oh, there's definitely, because I was saying, strong. Isla, this is really horrible, but... She stood in my kitchen with my dad and my uncle and a few of my friends after Melanie had been found. And mm-hmm. as you do, because in Aberdeen it was a uh, big thing at the time. Was, I mean, it, it was, was huge. A, uh, and she stood there with us and she came up with scenarios and that if it could have happened to Pierre Melanie. Uh, and she didn't flinch. No, no, she told a lie so bloody well. Ken, uh, like, uh, there's something fundamentally uh, wrong. To go like that and then... Well, to leave her the way she did in the flat and cover her up and then rob one, rob the other room yeah. and then go up and hide up and go, well, where mum and that? Know, the next half an hour later, speak to Bobby. How can you do that? Tell Susan the circumstances about when you first heard something had happened at that property, what you and your friendship group initially thought. Well, originally, when we first heard Ken Pam, we thought it was Pam. Aye, Ken, aye. We honestly thought it aye, was Pam. Aye. Ken, the ad that came out on the news was a young lassie and then it was her address. Aye. Ken, and then we were trying to phone her and we were trying to phone aye. her mum's house and we couldn't. Aye. And we honestly, Ken, we thought it was her. Aye. 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 And still to this day, Ken, I still, I kind of I comprehend that you could seem to be such a caring person and be normal and be kind and all that. But she went to her work, like, after that. Yeah. She met with her mum and gave mm-hmm. her that granny's present and all that, and then went to her work and served. Can How could you go and eat a meal? Oh, how can? How could you answer the door to Bobby to start with and then just cut it off? That's what I was saying. It's like she was so cocksure of herself that she was going to get a lot with it that she happily spoke to the coppers, she happily stood in my house and came up with scenarios of it had happened, and, oh, my God, it's so terrible, and... You said she kind of liked the attention. I think she revelled in aye, the attention. I do think that. How can you... How could you change into that, Clyde, and take a... Can you, you, you went up here with one intention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You didn't go up here just to scare her. No. You went up here, because, like Ken Isla was saying, you couldn't have just went up to threaten her, because she would have... Can, it was you, you bade, doing, you bade in the same building. You went up here with wicked intentions. Mm-hmm. She had a black hooded top. top. Black jeans. And I, I saw the photos of the bags yesterday that she'd had. By the way, the forensic officer was telling me that he'd had a look through his notes and 
that the forensics had written down that twice in the first week a female, a young female had approached them wanting access to the building saying I live there, can I go and get some of my clothes mm-hmm. so she'd now, obviously been trying to get the stuff back mm. in fact she'd taken a bag she came, she came to mine on the Saturday after she'd met with her mum and that, after obviously if it she'd done at Melanie she came to mine and she had a carrier bag about this size, but it mm. was stacked full and it was it was a bag tied like uh-huh. so it was tied up and then stacked into that carrier bag uh-huh. so you couldn't see if it was in there. Uh-huh. She went away in a taxi about half past nine at night and then came back fifteen minutes later, quite like, Oh, I've forgotten my bag, I've uh-huh. forgotten my bag and I picked it up and gave it to her. It was quite a heavy bag uh-huh. and I still to this day think was that the blood stained clays? Uh-huh. I think it was. But then she didn't know where to go with them after no. that, and she'd ended up taking them back to the property again. And she was as normal as honest. Uh, just, just, you wouldn't, just, like we are sitting speaking just now, uh, Ken, honest. Like, because the body, the body obviously hadn't been found, found at that, at that point. point. No, no, so no, she's no. committed the crime mm-hmm. and come over for, and it's, it was just, it wasn't like she'd come over for some wild party, it was you no, and your daughter. No, it was home. just me and Morgan at home. There was nobody else in the house that night. We had a, a couple of cups of tea and that, and then she went away home. But just to, um, to go back home, that's another thing, no, to, go, to back go back and walk yes. past. Well, yes. she didn't she did go upstairs, but the flat was there. Yes. And to walk past and lie there and sleep in Ken Fitzgerald's oh, lying underneath yeah. you. Claire knew Chris quite well as well, and mm-hmm. he had been, well, as we know, he he had been a heroin addict, but he'd got himself clean. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that was at the point where Aye, he that was. Him. Yeah, and that was kind of why as well. He was trying to make, that's what I was saying, Isla, he was doing really well, and he was, and that was, the guy wouldn't have known any of Chris's other friends. It was only because he was trying to better himself and sort his life, and he'd managed to come a wafe Abdi. And then, of course, he'd met, because I still feel guilty about that as well, because it was me that introduced Pam. To, to Chris Ken, I think well she ruined his life as well. Right. He got such a shock yes. that day when he came back to court. He was like a stone lighter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. day they came back. No, Chris definitely, and he's. I mean, I was saying that Tyler. I said, can it, it, it divided us out at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. We all went our separate ways, mm-hmm. and we all lost contact. Can anybody that was friends at that point? We just are kind of, and I've never heard of him again since. No, no. He got the rough end of the stick. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was automatically, they just automatically, well, because it was so vicious, you just mm-hmm. would have thought Everybody it, aye, thought it was a man aye, had done it, aye, yes. And aye. that's, I think, I think that's what still marks me to this day. I think, how could you have, how could you, Ken? I know, I know. Like, but the was, strength she must have had. That's what I was saying. I, like, can I look at my daughter if I was 20 now, and she's mm-hmm. a sick Ken, and I aye. just think, how can... Aye. This... It probably did come out in court at the time, but I think none of us really retained it all. But I had a long chat, and you'll hear it in the podcast, with Chris Gannicliffe, the scientist. And what I hadn't appreciated was how many stab marks she had been in the sofa. Mm -hmm. So how many times she'd been trying Mm -hmm. to stab her. It wasn't just one, two. No, it was a repeated attack. I didn't know that. I didn't, didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. I didn't appreciate that. Because her spleen that. and under her boob and all. And I knew she had multiple stabs yeah. on her, but I didn't realise the result. And there was also the knife had cut the wallpaper. But she made it to the door. I mean, yeah. she made. I knew she would. She would think when she got going, but I knew she would. She fought but, hard. Aye, she fought mm. hard to get out that door. But to even come down dressed like that with a knife to somebody you don't even care. Because Melanie had absolutely nothing. Kind of like a young glossy mm. dish, nothing. 
I do understand when you look back at that phone call transcript of the mother going, no, it can't have been you. I can understand a mother not wanting to believe that your your child would do that. If you think about it, if you're in this much disbelief as her friend and you'd only known her for however many years, imagine being the person that had birthed that human. And actually she said that. She said, I know you, I brought you into the world. And she and probably still doesn't believe that she did it. I suppose that would be, I suppose as a, from a mother's point of view, you would never ever want to believe that your child no. was that evil mm-hmm. person. It's a coping mechanism, yeah. wouldn't it be? You'd think that, no, no, it can't have been there, it must have been that guy, Chris. And I'm sure that's what they've told, that's the story yeah. that they've stuck to yep. over the years. And uh, everyone's just said, we want to know yeah. why. Yeah. And I... I I really wish that she would just give you the closure and tell you why she did it, because it's it's a, the, the least she shows you. No, it, it's like, I just, it, I do care, I don't care, I don't care, it, I just work, I just can't even think about her without getting really, ah. Uh, she's made, never made, shown on any remorse. No, that's what I mean, she's I never, never ever gave, said gave you sorry, no. no. And never ever give you an explanation, no. which I think she you, owes you. I, and for which is stole, for us is stole. Okay. He'll never even fix me because I'm broken anyway, and he'll never no. fix me like that. Aye, okay. Okay. Unfortunately, you might be a bit like that, aye. but at least if you got a bit of an explanation, aye. it might manage to aye. give you a but little bit, of, tiny bit of peace of mind in a horrible aye. situation. What would you do if she did try and approach you? If she ever said she wanted to speak to you? That kind of a could. I might, but I kind of could. Mm. But at the moment, I just, just. I mean, I in my heart, hearts. I honestly, do think that she ever will give no. you. I, I hate no. to say this to you, but no, I don't think she'll ever give you an explanation. Which I mean, a lot of the time, I was just oh, floating. I wasn't on nothing, but kind of didn't really take nothing. But just days went into nights, and nights went into days, and for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, it's but hard I know. to believe it's twenty years ago now. I mean, I know. I know, in October. And in some aspects, it seems like a totally different lifetime to me. Just, but then another, you're just it's like, just like yesterday. Ah, uh, yeah. Can mm-hmm. it's just like yesterday. So to keep Faye, like use in this limbo and Negi on the explanation is just as evil as for that woman. And it's dead. And it just ah uh, seems to be about these kind mm-hmm. like to give them other support mm-hmm. and, and that's what it does them for day one. Before Melanie hit that floor, it was. She never had a name. She never had a name. It was just them, them, them. You kind of, you kind of speak about them like <laughs> that day in that court. Well, I'm glad that I've got you two to go. How's, how's it? Were you both? Well, we I know you're fine. a bit nervous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you nervous Did you before? have black hair at the time? I think I had short hair. Short, yeah. I mean, I think I would have been a bit the same as you with the court case. It was almost like watching my life happen for the sideline. And that changed you? Oh, aye. aye. Oh, definitely. Aye. That's what I was saying, I love very much so. Aye. Even doing how I am with people, like I was saying, folk kind of phone me and say, oh, Claire, I really need to ask you a favour. I'm like, well, you'll tell me if it is first before <laughs> I even answer because I just aye. can. And there is aye. things in my life that I fully, when that, after that happened, I, I mind there was some papers came and tried to get a stool, but you'd our friend, and mm. I was like, no, I'm not doing that because mm. of respect for you. Mm. At the time, mm. I was just like, no, none of that will help this family. No. No. And then I moved out the area and just moved up off the Abdi no. and just no. brought my daughter up instead. No. And no. I want you to explain though to Susan, because I think, and I don't know if I'm wrong here, I think that the, 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 
defence or, or whoever tried to give an impression it was some sort of drug-fueled yeah. party. Yeah, it wasn't. Like, no, no. The only kind of drugs that Palmer ever took in front of me, we both used to hear we smoke uh, cannabis, uh, and that was it. And it uh, wasn't only ever to hear we uh, giggle and you'd uh, hear uh, a cup of tea, and uh, can, there was uh, no, uh, nothing sinister no, about it, there was no... Can, they tried to mark on that it was some heroin fuel, no, but it wasn't it? And no. that's the thing. That's what I always think as well. They went doing the wrong line there because now nobody really cares why she did this and nobody cares if she will do it again. Yes. It wasn't that. She wasn't a dope. She wasn't a junkie that couldn't survive without... A lot of folk would do back then. They would buy a slightly bigger bit and then they would sell a few little bits and then they would get their little bit cheaper. And that was all she ever used to do. She wasn't out there like kind of kind. She went on to... Sell heroin, and right. but none of that happened. Yeah. Can yeah. like, yeah. and that's why I think they just wanted to use it. Like, well, that's your answer. That's right. why she did it because no. she took care of it. She didn't. She didn't. I no. never ever believed she, she did, did that. Didn't. She was not. She spoke to policemen. Can they would can? I've seen that. Yeah. Can like half an hour after. Can no way was she that. And I, I found out now that the thought, and she was not like that. She wasn't gone about tough. No, tough. definitely not. not. No. Oh, no, not no. at all. No. And her mum should have been going to meet her anyway, oh, can't exactly. it? She wouldn't have been like that. No, no, yeah. she de- it definitely wasn't. That, she, that is not what caused her to go and do it. She no. did. No. To this day, I don't care if it caused no. her to do it. But that was, kind of, I mean, it, it was definitely premeditated. She sat in her house and thought about what right. she was going to do. Everybody is the same. Everybody Aye. still wants to come. Why? Aye. And it's a case of, like... Nobody's forgotten it, no. kind of thing. Can no. like nobody's forgotten it. So but here's hoping nobody forgets Mel now. Melanie will be remembered by those who loved her, the children who attended old primary school where they have an award named after her, and those who never met her or worked on this case or were touched by it. The man who arrested and charged her killer, Peter Riley, and the man who was the legal representative for the defence, Shane Campbell, both hope this is not the end of the story. 20 years on, Melanie's family still don't know why Pamela did, did kill her. And I am trying to track her down with the hope that she'll agree to do an interview with me and give me some answers. If you got to sit down and talk with her, what would you ask her now? I think what I would ask her is, is maybe something that I asked her during interviews. You know, why did you do it? It just is so surreal. It's, um, it's such a horrific case. I think you'd asked me earlier on um, how this compared with other investigations. And, and whilst every investigation is different, it was unique in the circumstances. And I, to this day, I don't think I've been involved in a, a, another investigation where the suspect is a young woman who's committed such a callous, um, brutal attack on, on a, another young woman. Um, without any apparent motive, it's, it's surreal. Do you think she'll speak to me? Um, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, clearly I've read in the media over the years um, that Pamela has changed. I, I don't recall ever seeing any apology to Susan or, or to the family, which I think will go a long way to, to helping them um, come to terms with the tragedy that's befallen them. Um, but I don't know. I mean, in my interaction with Pamela, she was, you know, she she was um, honest in what she told us, is, is my recollection. 
I, th I think from the, the family point of view, um, I still go down Great Western Road. And, um, you know, Melanie was just a young girl. Her parents lived in the country, so when she came into town, they must have um, really been concerned about her and to think that she was walking from 188 Great Western Road to a place of work, they would be worried about that. They would never have thought for a second that she'd be murdered in her own flat, and that's tragic, that's tragic. This is obviously a case that has, has stuck in your mind. Yeah. Tell, tell me why. Well, um, it's at that stage, it was uh, the first murder case that I'd ever dealt with. And so it was a big case at that time, the biggest case that I'd ever dealt with. And even today, um, I would regard it as probably the biggest case that I've ever been involved with. Do you ever think to yourself, why? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you do from time to time. Even I would like to hear her explain exactly what happened. Clearly from Melanie's mother's point of view, one can absolutely understand why she would want an element of, of closure. From my point of view, um, the emotional effect is, is, is nothing compared to, to Melanie's mother. Um, but it, it, you know, it is something that you do from time to time, give thought to, and you do think, you know, I, w I would love to know exactly what happened that morning and why exactly she did it and what she feels about it now. While we await Pamela Gurley's answer to my request and the pleas of everyone who has given their time to take part in this podcast, I'll leave the final word for now to the brave woman who has bared her pain and grief with you all, the woman who can never be released from her prison, Susan Patrick. I'm still doing mine after 20 years, coming up for 20 years, and mine goes on. The only way I, mine finishes if I get dementia or die, and that pain's going to be with me forever. This is The Storyteller, Murder Most Foul, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. I'd like to thank everyone who's taken part in this podcast, and hopefully we'll have another episode coming soon. some good news since I recorded that there will be another main episode possibly more and don't forget the bonus episodes there's a lot of new information in them they are effectively a part two of the main episodes so if you haven't listened you can go and binge on them now before I release episode nine when I interview someone who has come back from the dead <laughs>